Sometimes yeah. we can buy a business that's been out of stock about 25% of the time, and we can grow the, the earnings a third by just making sure that there's enough um, working capital to make sure that that business stays in stock. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my Great to Wealth listeners. Today, I have the pleasure to bring to you Mike Rankovic. I knew, uh, I, I'm very close to pronouncing his last name right. I just can't pronounce the last name right uh, for, for this complicated a last name. But Mike's, Mike's dialing uh, in from Colombia, Medellin, Colombia. And uh, why I thought it's an interesting conversation today is really going to be, I know you, most of you probably already know I have my own venture capital fund. And I love investing in businesses, uh, especially that are cash flowing. Uh, now, venture capital is not necessarily a cash flowing end of it. But what Mike does is he does a micro, micro private equity, which essentially would mean that he'll raise capital just like a private equity fund will. And then, then go buy businesses and then turn them around and potentially sell them. And that's really how the money. So we'll talk about the entire business model. I really thought where we are in the economic cycle, people are getting nervous around real estate while they shouldn't. But the plan was to give a little bit more options on if not real estate, if not venture capital, if not this, if not this, what else? So this is one more tool in your arsenal to try and see how you can use that. So that's really how I would ask you to take a, uh, take a listen to this podcast. Or if you're watching on YouTube, uh, watch this podcast. It's going to be with that angle, that one more way of investing passively with cash flow. With that said, Mike, welcome to the show. Appreciate your time, buddy. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much for having me on here today. And the pronunciation was perfect. Awesome, man. Perfect. So we don't we won't go too much of the intro uh, beyond beyond what we just talked about. We're gonna jump directly into the podcast here, and through the podcast, we'll uncover your story. The one way we like to start this show is when you hear the term "migrate to wealth." What does that mean to you? Well, I, I actually looked up a little bit more about you before the podcast, just, just so I could right. uh, know what what to focus on. But I, I, I think it's really interesting. I've never seen a podcast like like this focused primarily on you know first and second generation immigrants, which I thought was really cool because I'm, I'm an immigrant myself. I moved to the U.S. when I was 12 years old. Uh, I spent most of my life in Chicago, and now I'm living in South America. That's awesome, Mike. Mike, so let's let's jump into the story. Where did you immigrate from? So I, I was born in Serbia. When I was four years old, my family moved to Germany. So I grew up in Germany, and then when I was twelve, moved to the U.S. and spent most most of my life there. Awesome, awesome. And that was in Chicago, you said, right? Correct, uh, sh Chicago area. Chicago area, perfect. So, Mike, tell, tell, help us understand your journey into wealth, right? Kind of like how you looked at, um, and I don't know if you can go back as as far as twelve years old. Well, whatever is your earliest memory of wealth, right? And wealth could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For some, it means freedom. For some, it means education. For some, it means uh, relationship. For some, it means good all money. For some, it could mean everything. But I don't think there's only there's any one definition of wealth which is correct. It's just different different definitions. So when you go back in time to your earliest memory of wealth, what did that mean to you? Especially as you have moved three major countries. And, and for, I'm assuming, not by choice. Um, at least some, some of the moves may not be by choice. So how do you reflect back on that? And tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I, I mean, when I, 
all the moves that I've done up until recently, they were my uh, my parents' decisions. So, right. so we moved, and uh, I was young, and I didn't have a say in it, and I should have not had a say in it. At four and 12 years old, you probably don't make the best decisions. So when, when I was younger and I didn't know any better, my definition of wealth was high income. And that's, that's what I did out, out of college. Out of college, I went into finance. I worked for a derivatives trading firm in Chicago. It was a, it was a great experience. Got to work with some really smart people. And, and it, was, it was really fun. At some point during that time, I was there for about five years, I realized that wealth doesn't necessarily, at least in my opinion, just equal high, high income because yeah. you're, you're trading time, time for money. I realized that if I go take two weeks or a month off or whatever, I'm not making any money during, during that time. So what I really wanted to do for the next part of my life was have assets that are generating income and that are creating income even when I'm sleeping and when I'm not working. And the, the industry that I decided to go into was, was these online businesses. So yeah. after my finance career, I ended up working for a startup, actually a brokerage that buys and sells these types of online businesses, went on to create my own online business. And about three years ago, we found that uh, WebStreet to solve a similar problem for, for other people. So Mike, let, let's go through that. Let's break it on a lot, lot of different insights right in there. So uh, you picked finance, you did uh, derivatives trading, which is a highly intellectual work. Right. And then uh, it's very left brain. Mm -hmm. And then uh, then you decided, hey, you know what? I need to find independence through passive income. So how did that talk to me about that process? How did you find from trading to online businesses? Not a logical jump. Uh, so as to so help us understand, how did you decide on picking online, investing in online businesses as your way to earn passive income? Why not well, real estate? Why not? Why not? Any of, any of the other ways to do that? Help me understand that. Well, the, the most interesting thing about online businesses is the multiples for which they trade for. So you can buy a cash flow positive online business for roughly 3x of its earnings. And then also with some of these smaller when you say earnings, Mike, are we talking about EBITDA? Are we talking about revenue? What are we talking about? Uh, EBITDA. So, so basically profits, three, 3x profits. Got it. So, so that that makes online businesses a really attractive investment. Now, of course, it's not that easy. The two things that make it highly difficult are they're not passive investment; they're highly actively managed businesses. Oftentimes, there's you know there's inventory, there are employees. You need a specialized skill set to run them. And then, with online businesses of a certain size, there are many single points of failure. So, 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 so it's not a great passive investment and that's that's the problem that we that we set out to solve with with web street got it so uh, now let's let's go let's go a little bit deeper into that so you set out to create financial independence through online businesses so before you launched web street how did that work out for you that creating the passive income where were you in that journey yes. were you able to successfully create it or you had to you realize that you have to get actively involved to learn the business to then generate passive income. how what was the process so so I actually had a, had a few stepping stones. So while, while I was at my finance job, I was trying to figure out what, what to do next. And I, I randomly, you know, I started researching these online businesses. Honestly, at first sounded like a scam. Like there's no way people make money online with websites. Yeah. This has to be some kind of scam. Like this is worse than, than many other things. And the more I looked into it, the more interesting it seemed. And I, and I thought I was really onto something here. And I, I ran across this job post for an internship on the other side of the world in Southeast Asia, a very low paid internship, but it was a, for, it was for a new small company that was a online business brokerage. So a place that sold these online businesses. And I figured 
you know, if I eventually want to buy my own online business or, or build my own online business, why don't I work for a brokerage? I'll figure out the patterns. I'll see what works, what doesn't. And, and I joined the brokerage. Um, it was an amazing experience. Uh, I had a front row seat to some incredible growth. When I joined, there were only a handful of people, me and the founders and a few employees. And by the time I left, it was, it was about 100 employees, the, the world's biggest brokerage for, for online businesses. So I, as a result of that experience, I, I got to see, you know, a, a nice overview of what type of business models work online, what type are more difficult to run, which have more risk, which have more upside. And then I ended up leaving and creating my own online business. And, yeah, and, that's, and that's, that's what eventually built the passive income. Oh, I see what you're saying. So now I understand that. So you went from, you, you still were trading time for money, but more in the direction that you really aligned yourself with because you had picked your your asset class that you want to build expertise on. And then you went deep into that, understood it, then you launched your own online business, which then created passive income. Is that correct? Correct. But when I, when I launched it, it definitely was not passive at all. By, yeah, I can, uh, when I can we imagine. Launched it, it was 80 hours a week for, for a year or two. And then after after a couple of years, it eventually got to the part where it was a where it's a passive business. I mean, it's it's an e-commerce business. Currently, I spend about an hour a week on it, and basically yeah. at the board level strategy. So, Mike, for people who don't understand online businesses to to the level that you do, can you break it down for them? What does an online business mean? Yeah, yeah. So very simple, just like a brick and mortar business, except all of its operations are online. Uh, if you're in the US, you probably interact with online businesses all the time. So the one that most people are familiar with would be a e-commerce business. So when you go to Amazon and order something, more than two thirds of the products that you're buying on Amazon are from third party sellers. It's not actually Amazon manufacturing the products. Those are other brands. And many of those brands are small and medium sized businesses. And that's actually the, the type of business that I, that I created. Another great example would be a website. Let's say you go online, you're looking to buy some luggage and you type in, you know, best checked luggage 2023. You land on a website, it has a bunch of different reviews of different types of luggage, and then it has links either back to Amazon or directly back to the website. That website makes money through those links. So that would be an online business. Another online business would be any type of software tool that you that you use, that you pay a monthly recurring subscription for. That would be an online business. If you buy a Kindle book or even if you buy a printed book, that oftentimes that would be an online business as well. Got it. And Mike, what, what is your online business, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, absolutely. So, so mine is a product a, uh, that we, uh, it's a private label product that we modified to serve the ketogenic market. So people that are doing a keto diet, it helps them. So we were, we, the way we got started is we would sell, we were reselling other people's products and we kind of noticed that they're not ideal for, for our market. So we went to a uh, manufacturer, we had to modify it and custom create a a product for a very small niche of the market. So it's for cattle, you said? Like cows and no, stuff? No, no, sorry. It's for the keto, keto, ketogenic oh, diet. Oh, ketogenic so diet. Got it. Okay, now correct, I... You said keto. Okay, now I understand it. Okay. Look, for <laughs> cattle, that's, that's that, that big of... I'm sure that market is big too. Okay, I understand that now. I think that makes yeah. sense. And this is a supplement or this was a food product? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a tool. So it's basically like a fitness tracker. Got it. Got it, got it. Okay, perfect. So Mike, now, now let's go into the second part of your journey. So now you've, you, you got to a point where you were able to create passive income. What was next for you at that point? 
to because is, yes. was that the impetus for you to launch the company that you launched for passive investment? So, so basically, I, I was at the point where I was earning enough passive income and uh, you know working very. It, it didn't take very many hours every week to to maintain that income, and. I stayed in touch with the two founders of the company that I used to work for, the brokerage. And I remember one question that we always heard when I was working at the brokerage was, you know, I love the idea of online businesses. 3x annual profits seems incredible. The ROI on that is good, but I have no idea how to run these online businesses. I don't have the specialized skill set or I don't have the time or I don't have any interest in doing this. How about I just buy a business and you guys run it for me? Or can you Mm -hmm. find me somebody that can run these businesses? And we've heard that over and over so many times. And then, you know, we sat down one day and we figured, well, why don't we do exactly what, you know, our customers have been asking us to do for years? We've got all the all the right skill sets. We've got all the right tools in place to do this successfully. And there wasn't really anybody out there that was doing it. So I partnered with my former bosses from the brokerage. And now we're partners on this new standalone business. And what is that? Tell, tell me more about this new business. So so, so the new business is WebStreet, webstreet.co. It's a investment platform for people to passively invest in cash flowing online businesses. Perfect. And Ken, so let's say I'm, I'm, I'm interested. What's available on the platform? Am I just giving into a blind fund? Or am I saying that, hey, I want to invest in Mike's business, but not in Socket's business or vice versa? How does uh, how does that work? Help me understand that. Yeah, yeah, good, 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 good question. So we launched this business, this this investment fund, about three years ago. It's gone through a few iterations based on our investor feedback and based on our returns. So far, we've raised about thirty million dollars from about four hundred investors. We've used that money to buy forty different assets across five different investment funds. What we do now. Every three to six months, we'll launch a diversified investment fund. It's only open to accredited investors currently. So US definition, million plus net worth or 200K plus income. And when you invest, you're investing at the fund level. So you won't be able to pick and choose what businesses. And the reason we do that is diversification. Uh, so so we'll, we'll go out and raise a five to $10 million investment fund from a few hundred investors. And then once that money is raised, we go out and put together a diversified portfolio of 10 to 15 online businesses run by different uh, portfolio managers, run by different operators. Got it. And how do you find these operators, Mike? Because you, I'm assuming you're not operating it or your brokers are not, a, or your broker partners no, are not. No, no. So, so, so that's, that, that's the nice uh, part about the connection to the brokerage. So, so my two partners on WebStreet, they also own Empire Flippers the biggest brokerage for these types of online businesses. And the brokerage has sold over 2,000 of these online businesses. And a lot of the sellers are repeat sellers. So in many cases, the brokerage has vetted their track record. They've built the P&Ls on these businesses. So they have a very large audience of online business operators, builders, buyers, sellers, and a small percentage of that audience makes our ideal operators. And what, what we really try to do with WebStreet was line up everybody's interests. So the way the operators are paid, they don't draw a salary. They receive a part of the profits. The investors receive a part of the profits. And WebStreet receives a part of the profits. Got it. Got it. And, and Mike, how, how does one assess the risk of um, how do you evaluate an online business? For somebody who doesn't know, I mean, you know, most of the audience would definitely know how to look at a real estate deal, at least they have a perspective on that. They have a starting point, but evaluating an online business, most people won't even know. 
right? Because that's so, a, that's so, a specialized skill. Yes, yeah, so some of it is very similar. Some of it is is unique. So the similarities are they're typically valued based on earnings, uh, bottom line free cash flow, whichever metric you want to use. And then yeah. you apply a multiple. Uh, right now, the industry multiple is roughly at 3x, but we've bought anything from 2x annual to 4.5x annual. So that's 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 the that's the basic calculation. And then, of course, the stuff that requires more specialized knowledge is uh, properly ass- assessing the risk. So what is the probability of the earnings continuing at this level? What's the likelihood of the earnings going down? What can I do to to grow this business? How much investment will it take? What's mm-hmm. the probability of that of that working? And are you are you buying turnaround potentials, or are you buying businesses that don't necessarily are distressed? How are you looking at uh, no uh, no? So 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 we don't do anything distressed. We only buy businesses that have steady or growing earnings, and all all of the businesses that we buy are cash flow positive. So we don't buy turnarounds. We don't buy uh, pre profitable or pre revenue companies. Only businesses with with solid earnings. It, it, it makes plan. it a lot more. Go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. It, it just makes it a lot more interesting to to investors. There's opportunity to do that, but that's not something that that we're doing. Yeah, I don't think that makes sense. And Mike, how? What's usually the hold time for these businesses? You so guys? our hold time is two to four years. So probably four. average right around three years. If you're part of a fund, that fund might have ten to fifteen businesses. Some might sell later. Some might sell sooner. Okay. That's perfect. And then, how do you manage the risk on your end, right? So, kind of like when you're uh, when you're when 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 somebody invests in a fund, they definitely don't know. I mean, they may know the businesses that you have invested in, but they don't have the day to day insight into what's happening there. How do you oversee that whole operations to make sure that whatever is going on is still in the best interest for all the stakeholders involved? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. So there's basically two components to it. So the first one is picking the right portfolio managers or operators, as we call them, the people that run the businesses. And then the second component is buying the right businesses. So for the, for the first part, what we look for is we look for highly experienced portfolio managers that have their own portfolio of assets. And we have them put together a investment criteria that is exactly on what they've been able to do successfully. So for example, we have, we have a guy that that has probably about 20 websites in his portfolio. And for our fund, he's going to receive about 20% allocation of the fund and he's going to buy three websites. And the websites will have the exact same opportunities and risks of the types of businesses or the types of websites that he's run in the last 10 years. And what we do is we vet their track records. So, so we look at their P&Ls of businesses that they've sold, we look at their growth strategies, we look at their maintenance strategies, and and so on. So the first piece is finding the right operators. And we typically like to work with repeat operators. So on, on our current fund, we have four operators, each with a different business model, and three out of four operators are repeat operators. So we can draw on uh-huh. past returns. We can say, hey, this operator is de- delivered 15% tra- trailing 12 months uh, on a previous fund. Uh, this is a new operator. This is how his uh, portfolio has done. Um, and then the second piece, this, the second uh, part here is buying the right types of businesses. We already talked about that a little bit, but we don't buy anything turnaround. We don't buy anything declining. We buy businesses that are steady or growing. And then the most important piece for the acquisitions is buying a asset that perfectly ties back to the operator's experience. Let's Let's say we're buying a website and let's say the operator has deep experience in conversion rate optimization, basically squeezing more revenue out of every user that visits that website. Well, those are the types of opportunities that we're going to look for because 
they can successfully evaluate a potential target and say like, okay, I have five other assets like these. This is the baseline of what this business is making now. I think on average, I can grow this by 10 to 15% and we can build that right into the model before we even make the acquisition. Yeah, no, I love that, Mike. So Mike, when, so when, when somebody is investing in your funds, do you know these operators beforehand? Like how do you build your thesis or you find the businesses and then find the operators? What comes first? Yes. Yeah, so, so operators come first, then investor money, and then the businesses. So basically, when somebody comes to Web Street and they're looking to invest, they'll see all the operators in the fund. They'll see the allocation by business model, and then they'll see a full write-up on the operators. They'll say, this guy's been doing this for this many years. This is what he currently has in his portfolio. This is the performance of his existing portfolio. We'll have information if they've done any other funds in the past. And then we'll have the investment criteria of what they're looking to buy. After we raise the money, the operators have 90 days to make acquisitions. We have oversight on the acquisitions. We approve all the acquisition, all the acquisitions. Any unspent money gets sent back to uh, to investors. Got it. So I think that was going to be my next question. That what if that 90, within the 90-day window... They don't find the right opportunities. At that point, the investors get their money back. And, and is it pro rata? Correct. Correct. So 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 we never we never deploy 100% of the raised capital. Our average is right around 80%. And we always err on the side of uh, returning capital. We actually have it sitting in a uh, T-bill uh, fund. And we give the we pass on the interest to investors. So sometimes it's frustrating to receive uh, you know a refund of your investment amount. But we always err on the side of uh, protecting downside. So, so yeah, uh, investors receive a pro, pro rata refund based on how much they, they invested. And Mike, how does that work? Some businesses may need capital, right? So let's say you buy a business that I run and you think if you can inject another million dollars into the business, the growth is going to be 10x. I'm making it up. I don't know what the right numbers are. Mm-hmm. So how do you know beforehand how much to carve out for these businesses, especially if it's in a fund model? How do you make the determination and how does that impact the investor? Yeah, good, good question. So we don't have any capital calls from uh, for investors. So there won't be, you won't get a email six months from now asking you to send more money. So whatever you put in upfront, yeah. that's that's all the money that's expected. When we look at acquisitions, we do a cash flow analysis, including the the growth plan. So before we even buy a business, we build a growth plan and then we calculate how much money is needed to properly execute on that growth plan, and we set that money aside. But but you're you're absolutely right. Some businesses need a cash injection to to be able to grow. E-commerce businesses with physical products when inventory are a perfect example. Sometimes yeah. we can buy a business that's been out of stock about 25% of the time and we can grow the the earnings a third by just making sure that there's enough working capital to make sure that that business stays in stock. So this is something that we can calculate and project at the beginning um, before the acquisition. And then we set that money aside and we uh, we build in a little bit of buffer in case something unexpected happens. And after two to three quarters of operating the business, if our working capital buffer is too big, we send that money back to investors. And that gets, that gets back to the investors as, I love this now, Mike. Now now I'm doing a one-on-one consulting with you that <laughs> I, I'm, I'm interested in learning more about it. So I'm like, now let me go deeper into that. I think we've, we've gone past the podcast time right now. This is perfect. I love oh, this. That's, that's, that's all right. That's all right. That's I, I, I love, I love talking about this stuff. So when when you're buying this thing, right, and uh, are you returning the capital as return off capital or return on capital at that point when you're returning people's money back? So, so both. So both. There, there's two components. So every quarter, we distribute all the profits. So I would probably consider that return on capital. We've been able to do about 15% uh, cash yield. So basically, whatever money the business makes in a quarter, 
we distribute that to to investors. Yeah. And then when we sell the businesses, uh, we return the capital. Then it would be return off capital. And then we also, uh, and then there, oftentimes there's also profits from increase in value if, sure. if we've been able to execute uh, growth. So, so right, right now we're doing about 15% cash yield and we're on track for about 20% IRR across a diversified portfolio. Got it. Okay, perfect. And uh, what about the other component in the deal, Mike, in terms of tax savings? Because you're not investing in businesses, right? So there's going to be depreciations and write-offs because it could be inventory, it could be equipment, it could be whatever, depending on the business, what it does. Uh, are there any tax benefits, especially for the U.S. audience? Unfortunately, <laughs> not not really. So if you're coming if you're coming from a real estate investment background, uh, the the depreciation or the amortization is just not the same, and you can't do um, what, what do you call them ten ten thirty one exchanges? Yeah. Unfortunately, you can't do that with online businesses. We've tried to look really, really hard. We haven't found a way to do it. So the tax savings are not as as good. Of course, we'll we'll pass on any amortization or depreciation to investors on the K ones, but it's not as substantial as what you would see with uh, with real estate um, investing. Um, the the flip side of that is we we have a lot of real estate investors that are also investing in in us, and some of the really sophisticated investors are using our platform as a hedge for commercial real estate. So right. some guys have a little bit too much commercial real estate exposure. They're seeing the trend of people moving outside of city centers or working from home, and they're using that to, to hedge their portfolio. Got it. I think, I think it's all about diversification to begin with. So I, I love that, Mike. And Mike, in how long have you been running this fund now, Mike? Three, three years, almost three years. Almost three years. Got it. And how many funds have you guys launched already? So we are on fund number six. Fund number six. So I'm assuming you basically launch every every six months, approximately. You launch a fund. Correct. Every three to six months. Three to six months. Okay. And then usually, each fund will have how many businesses, or does it change? Uh, it, it varies. It varies based on the on the monetization, but I would say typically ten to fifteen businesses. Ten to fifteen businesses. Okay. And and do you ever have repeat operators in multiple funds? Or once yeah, yeah. And, op- and, and, and absolutely. And the we, we have a fund uh, open now. I'm pretty sure it will it will be closed by the time uh, the podcast is published. But but we for our, for our current fund, three quarters of our operators are repeat operators. So so typically we'll have about half the operators be be repeat operators, and that's something that we've gotten lots of interest from from investors. And it just makes it easier for us to vet the operator as well. Yeah. It's you know we're getting a a known quantity. Because they've already showed their performance, right, on the fund. So that's exactly, exactly. Okay. And e- e- even if they're new, you know, we look at the performance of their portfolio, but just having them in a previous fund makes things much easier. Got it. Perfect, perfect. Mike, uh, we're coming towards the end of our uh, show here. So a uh, few last minute things here. One's going to be, is there any question that you wish I asked you that I didn't that would add value to the listeners? Oh, that's, that's a really good question. Let me... Let me think. I guess uh, we didn't really talk about the risks of online businesses. So, so the sure. biggest risks are, you know, it's a very niche market, niche industry. So if you're, you know, basically if you want to participate in online businesses, you have the option, assuming you don't build one yourself, you have the option to buy one. If you go that route, make sure that you fully understand the, the work required and the skill set required. If you, go to, if you go the passive route, then like we talked about, it's, it's important to make sure that you have operators that have that knowledge and experience. That's about it. That's, that's everything I can, yeah. uh, I can think of. Oh, perfect, perfect. And Mike, so we're changing the, the next segment of our uh, podcast here. So we're really going to ask a question is, 
there is a 20 year old mike somewhere listening to the show what's going to be one insight from you to that 20 year old mike that could help them that could help them tremendously in consciously designing their migration into wealth yeah i i would say try to get to the point as quickly as possible where you're trading time for knowledge and skills versus just time for money yeah. Um, that took me a while to to figure out and then, of course, get to the point where you're building enough assets that are creating passive uh, passive income. Yeah, love that. Love that, Mike. Mike, next question here is, it's a little bit more philosophical question, uh, but it's going to, it's going to, again, there's no right answer. Where do you believe that humanity as a whole should migrate to in the next few years, next few decades. Wow, that's a that's a big question. I mean, generally, I I try to be positive. You know, sometimes you see these news stories about risks, whether that's AI risk, whether it's environmental risks, what whatever the case may be. But but I but I think you know I think we're very resilient. I think I think we're going to figure stuff out, and I, I try to keep a positive view. That's not that's not very specific. It's <laughs> just kind of yeah. a general operating principle. No, that's I think that that's really the optimism is the key, right? Because uh, things are never going to happen the way you plan them to happen. Some, especially if you're depending on the external world, it'll never happen the way you want it to be happening. But if you can manage exactly. your internal optimism, at least you have the perseverance to to go through those uh, tougher times. Uh, so I I think I, that answer definitely resonates with me. Mike, where can people learn more about you? Where can they find your fun, information about your fun, and hopefully connect with you? Yeah, uh, best, best place is our, web, our website. Uh, the URL is webstreet.co. Webstreet.co. We'll make sure that gets included, Mike, in the show notes below. Uh, Mike, I really thank you. I appreciate your time. I know you probably do these podcasts a lot, so it's probably repeated information for you. But for our listeners... I think it's a great way of diversifying their portfolio by listening to someone like you and kind of learning more about the online businesses. Again, nothing comes without a risk, a big disclaimer. You have to do as a listener, you have to do your own due diligence to make sure that you understand what you're buying into. If you have your own advisors, make sure you consult with them. Don't take anything that we say on this show without a grain of salt because what Mike and I are doing and people, other guests are doing, we're sharing our perspectives, our insights and something that we do does not mean it's right for you. So you have to do that analysis yourself. So once I, uh, given that disclaimer is out of the way, I want to thank you listeners for being, uh, if you're listening to this part, that means you stayed with us till the end. So thank you for listening to the show. Appreciate it. Without this, it won't be possible. Keep tuning in. We'll see you next week. Uh, and, and Mike, thank you again for your time. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on here today. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below.